we were quite afraid of our brand insight. We were quite afraid of like admitting that we were here to to make cleaning enjoyable. Yeah. But ever since we went all in on that message and we were like, we're going to make all of our headlines really sell that vision of cleaning, things really took off for us. Welcome to the Small Talk podcast brought to you by Small World, the agency that builds scale up brands. I'm Dan. I'm Harvey. In our first episode of Small Talk, we've got Purdy and Fig who make the best smelling cleaners on the planet. They have scaled to over 70,000 customers and are set to do three million pounds of online sales alone this year. In this studio today is Jack Rubin, co-CEO and co-founder with his mum and brother, who has led the marketing and growth efforts from the beginning. Just before we kind of get into really talking about Purdy and Fig, was it just that desire to sort of start your own business um, that made you think, Oh, I really let's let's do this now with your sort of with your brother and join the family business. Or was there something that you recognised in the business, in the brand, in the story, in the sector that you thought yeah. I want to go into that? And I think there's a there's a there's an opportunity there. Yeah, all aligned. As a second time entrepreneur, you're definitely looking at mac, more macro factors when launching a business. So you can do everything right, but you just need to have the right uh, be the right time. You know, why will this business work now? From a challenger perspective. What, what's the competitive landscape like and are there clear gaps to fill? And I think that's a practical question. And it was clear from working in venture capital that there was a huge gap here in cleaning. The move to refills and sustainability was just obvious and buying online versus buying in supermarkets. So that all kind of lined up as kind of a purely practical thing. The main thing and the main thing that anyone should think about when launching a business is, do you have a great product? And my mum had made with her friend Charlotte Fig an incredible product, like really, really good. People were driving to her house like every other week to refill their bottles. And it's like 100 people of her friends and family friends and that kind of thing. Wow. Uh, you know, when that kind of thing happens, you're like, <laughs> yes, this is a great product. Yeah, yeah, Like yeah. people are willing to drive to your house. Yeah. And yes, they're being supported, but they actually love the product. And it takes me back to like a couple of really famous family stories like Instacart where the product was really good and the friends would like use it once, but then they'd become like r- real customers. Mm. Um, and all my friends are customers of Purdy and Fig. Like whenever I gift them, they're like, yeah, I'm, I, I'm still buying it a year later. Yeah. Or I've gifted it to my mum and she's yeah. still buying it. Um, so That's exactly need- like my family, by the way. Yeah. Mm. They sent a free... Uh- <laughs> <laughs> a free bit of product to my mum and I and she was like it's so nice and I was like you just wait and then they use it and now she's bang on the loyalty scheme but it's always been yeah, hustler on the always yeah. been hustler it's really interesting as well that you say that though because that's one of the core tenets of um, be, being a challenger basically when you talk to VCs who specifically invest in those early stage challenger brands one of the things that they look for out of five is is irrational buying behaviour so right. you know big brand thinkers would have you assume that people are, aren't are loyal to a particular brand right they buy it once uh, like Coca-Cola you might buy it once or two times in a, in a year and they don't try and focus on making people buy who buy you know 20 cans of coca-cola buy more coca-cola because they're already gonna they're gonna buy it you try and focus on light buyers right. but brands like oatly that came around at the beginning you would have people who would, who would go five stores down just to find that carton of oatly because they were such massive brand fanatics so it's really interesting to hear kind of a, a the exact same story um, behind, you know, the Purdy yeah. and Fig product before it even became, you know, uh, what it is today, when it was very much, you know, it's a startup inception. Yeah. Well, a great product is is the key to any success because um, no matter how good your marketing is or your marketing funnel or your cash conversion cycle and all those really important things, um, if your product's not good, <laughs> you're going to really struggle because retention and virality are 
the cheapest way to, to grow uh, by far. And then the third thing, just to answer, finish answering your question, was the brand had a real authenticity to it, which I've always known is important. Mm. But this was a genuinely organic story of yeah. Yeah. my mum and her friend making products for themselves and then for their friends and their friends loving the products with the single purpose of creating a product that they enjoyed using. Mm. And, wow. they, and, yeah. they, and they'd been cleaning, you know, cleaning like for 30 years, 30, 40 years in their family homes. Mm. And they hated all their products. And it was like the number one thing they wanted to do is like, I want to have a nice product that I like using. Cool. And how, how has the past year been since launch? We, we kind of know, but for, yeah. for those listening. We launched the products in October 2021 and got off to a great start. We had a, we had an existing customer base from a previous product, which we can dive into another, maybe another time on, or today. We got them to take up the product and used it as a, like a testing ground for what they thought of it, which which messages landed. And so that was like our first thousand customers, which was a really useful starting point. And then we started to look at acquiring new customers and how we could grow loyal fans of people who loved Count Clean, which is uh, the hero product. You kind of set up, set out to make cleaning an enjoyable part of it. You know, everybody hates cleaning only because of the current products that are yeah. out there, not because it's a particularly un- unenjoyable pastime. Yeah. So it'd be great if you could just touch on that a little bit more. Like, what are you setting out to challenge within, within the, the cleaning industry? Well, that was the insight. I mean, the insight was if you do anything with a horrible product, it, it makes it horrible. So mm-hmm. there's there's some really weird analogies I've had before. Um, <laughs> like, imagine playing football with a rock. <laughs> like, yeah. cleaning doesn't have to be a shit task. It's actually quite enjoyable because you, when you're done, you feel good. Yeah. And Absolutely. It's very like, it's quite It's quite mentally refreshing, cleaning. Yeah. But it's just got, like, everyone's like, oh, I've got to clean. Yeah. You can actually make it really enjoyable if you have amazing products. And then that has knock-on effects in terms of how much you clean, and you have a cleaner home that makes you mentally more kind of balanced as well so there's like all these knock-on it benefits of just making the product really really nice to use and there was a couple of things that we realized like one cleaning products smell really bad mm. and the reason is they use like across the board really cheap synthetic um fragrances um, the second is all the all the chemicals and ingredients used to clean are all from the industrial industrialization of the country. So pre the industrialization of Britain, people clean with natural ingredients, and then we had the industrial revolution, use of petrol chemicals, and then that started to get into cleaning. You can feel that when you yeah. when you spray like a Dettol or a Mister Muscle, like it's it's toxic and chemical. You often cough or be yeah. like, oh, I want to get out of here open the windows, open yeah. the doors. So just by in virtue of like making the the content's really high quality and natural. We can make a big difference there. And then the final thing was we looked at the market and natural products in general just don't really work that well. Mm. There's a huge stigma about them in the cleaning market. And it's because all the natural cleaning products out there are using basically the same manufacturers with the same ingredients that are subpar. Um, so we had to manufacture the product ourselves using in-house chemist mm. doctorate to really understand how to make this product effective and natural. You spoke about that before and you said when it comes to consumer complacencies or, you know, and we have it trying to convince clients that our new model of agency, for instance, is, is the right way for them to go. And I suppose this is a new 
way of uh, of buying using cleaning products and you said that the core consumer complacency or, or what what they found or the, what what you need to convince them of is because they've been stung so many times by subpar products it is convincing them that you know natural sustainable products can also be as good if not better than you know yeah. your, your dettols yeah better yeah they can be better yeah much better. um well they can be better mainly for the reason that really harsh antibacterial cleaners um that basically nuke your surfaces mm-hmm. um are actually like quite counterproductive for your home so there's there's two reasons one is when you kill 99.9% of the bacteria on your surface you leave 0.1% and that's the strongest 0.1% and that reproduces and creates really strong bacteria in your home so like not using really harsh petrochemicals is actually advisable for your health and for health of your surfaces and then also your microbiome and gut like when you spray these products you breathe them in and then those that kills 99% of the bacteria in your stomach the microbiome bacteria in your stomach which is absolutely key for your whole immune system um, and you again leave the point one percent same thing. So these really harsh products are actually doing more harm than good. Yeah, for sure. I, having you know worked with you guys and, and tried to bring that to life creatively, one of the things that always stuck in my mind is whenever you mention this kind of nuking of surfaces, and, yeah, and that really yeah. does like. And you know we did, we created some assets that, that kind of tried to get that across, or, or rather the yeah. the flip, um, which is you know the the. The, the way that Perdium Fig solves that that kind of nuking. But it, it is, you know, when people listen to this, it'll, that'll be quite a vivid image in your mind of, yeah, yeah when, you, when you are spraying these chemicals around your house, you really are destroying your beautiful sort of scenery and setting around there. And even then, there's like, I think there's a really cool or fun creative insight in that 0.1% of bacteria, like mm. yep. showing that off and showing, you know, this is actually the meanest, hardest and, mm. and worst sort of bacteria about that, you, that you're kind of leaving around the, around the house. On brand, it's quite interesting. So we were quite afraid of our brand insight for a while in terms of we were quite afraid of like admitting that we were here to to make cleaning enjoyable yeah because we were kind of like sometimes when we said it we were like what but even though that was genuinely like the whole reason we started it's a big deal and it's just like slightly counterintuitive and it takes a while to get but ever since we went all in on that message and we were like we're gonna we're gonna stand by this message and we're gonna make all of our headlines um on our ads like transform your home to a spa and like really sell that vision of cleaning things really took off for us. And and I think one of the reasons is the main thing about using the product, what keeps you using the product and makes you tell other people to use the product is that you're like, oh my God, this is so enjoyable. Mm. Uh, And you've got to be someone that cares about the experiences of your product. So if you acquire customers with that message, you're automatically acquiring higher value customers who are going to be better retained and spread the word more. So just in virtue of like sticking to your message and the things that made you create the products, you're without even kind of realizing it, creating a much better business in terms of the customer base you're acquiring. Your retention rates will get better. Your LTV will get better. All these things, which I think people often, they maybe don't think about enough. Yeah, I think there's there's a massive dichotomy between growth marketing and brand marketing, right? And people think that you, you, there's like two really strong camps and you can't have one without the other when actually both of them really inform each other quite, quite heavily, especially in kind of a... a, a the Facebook world that we exist in now, the performance marketing world we exist in now, with with you know harder tracking and and um, yeah less less defined I guess variables behind that brand storytelling and creative and and getting across that sort of message is even more important, albeit within a best practice type of way yeah. uh, across sort of performance marketing channels. Yeah, you can be data driven and brand first at the same time, exactly for sure. And it's one of the big things that I always push with our team. It's like 
something called performance branding or yeah. the term we use. Mm. Um, yeah, and yeah, it's yeah. and it's like your paid advertising is your single biggest impression count for your business by far, mm. especially if you're spending like 40, 50,000 pounds a month on Facebook or we're now spending that per week. And you're literally reaching millions of people. Yep. So if you're not reaching them with your message, yeah. like your core message, yep. you're making a big mistake. Yeah. You've got to really believe in your brand mission and message. And then if you do believe in that and then you work out the best way to sell that message, but you're consistent with that message, then it's going to make a big difference in my view. Yeah. And I actually want to touch on, because one of the, one of the things that you do in, in your brand message and one of the reasons that challenge brands are so successful is because outside of traditional advertising, things like paid social or, uh, you know, even above the line, traditional advertising like TV and out of home, they look at different ways to break convention, their category and different ways to tell their brand story. And whenever I've looked at the Purdy and Fig brand, and I don't know whether you actually took inspiration from these guys, but Method have always been a really interesting brand within um, your space. And one of the things that they did when they first started out, they knew they didn't have this massive advertising budget. So they said, well, one of the best ways we can advertise ourselves is by truly standing out and telling our brand story through the structure of our packaging. And they got a guy called Karim Rashid, to, who's kind of a designer who, you know, basically did, you know, high fashion design and um, high architectural design um, to design their packaging. And it looked completely different from all of these quite functional products on a shelf. And whenever I saw the even the first iterations of the Purdy product, I had the same thought in my head because actually you guys were taking that a step further because this is a, a bottle that you literally hopefully want to have in somebody's house for life. Yeah. Um, if not a very, very long time, it has to feel like a, a desirable feature of their home and something again that they would want to have sitting on the tabletop and would feel like a you know aspirational photo shoot type of uh, yeah. setting and I was wondering whether yeah one if I'm barking up the wrong tree no, no, you're right. or if I am we've got whether. we've got loads of work to do on the bottle and yeah. we're doing some really cool stuff which I'll I'll dig into in a sec but you're absolutely right and one of our big things the first thing we did with that was we made the bottle 300 mil so it's a really small change from like the 750 mils you'll find most methods in. But like our target market, well, most people in our target market are slightly older um, and they're not that strong. And actually, well, actually a 750 mil bottle is actually <laughs> not, nice, not nice. If it's full, especially. It's quite heavy and it's quite hard to yeah. lift up. Uh, and the reason those bottles are so big is because they're all single use. So you're like, I go to the supermarket and I need to buy a big bottle. It's going to last me like a month or six weeks because I don't want to come back and lug this home again. So there's a whole world of like cleaning is built around that size bottle. And most brands who have released cleaning products, refills that you deliver to your home have just done the same thing. Um, they've like all got like 750 mil plus bottles. And we were like, you can refill this at home with tap water. You don't need a 750 mil bottle. And it's and it makes the experience like of, of using the product yeah. significantly and worse. And storage as well and storage and all that stuff. So we were like, let's just do a 300 mil bottle. Mm. Like it makes so much more sense. So that's what we've done. And our customers love the 300 mil bottle. Like they really, really love it. Um, and we actually think about going even smaller to 250 really? mil. Yeah, yeah. Just like... <laughs> you daredevils. Yeah, embrace it. <laughs> Why not? We're going smaller. <laughs> so what What you sort of mentioned that you're, well, you might do some more, yeah, well, bottle, well, product development. One of the reasons I was in Madrid is there's an artist out there called Adam Lowe who is probably one of the greatest 3D modeling artists in the world. He was friends with my mum. My mum had an art gallery in her 20s. Adam Lowe was her first artist. You're kidding. He thinks he can make us the world's first metal trigger. So every trigger in the world is plastic. And there's a reason for that. They're really complicated things to make. But they need to have a metal filament, which makes them unrecyclable. 
Just to just to clarify, the trigger is the bit that you just spray, right? Spray. Yeah. yeah. So the, the I can't believe how niche we're going on cleaning. Yeah, yeah that's what I thought. Um, <laughs> I think you heard it here first in the small talk podcast. <laughs> no, no, it's this fascinating. Small talk it's fascinating. Um, so but the, the metal filament, which has to be in every trigger, uh, makes it unrecyclable. And we think we can 3D print the world's first like functional, completely non-plastic trigger spray. And then we can get that manufactured on mass. And it could be made of like bronze. We're not sure. We're going to see what it's going to be made of. But he thinks he can do it. So... It's really cool. Yeah, another another work trip to sunny Spain. <laughs> Just have to get out there. That is again challenge around one hundred and one for leadership that actually has you. You're changing kind of a convention of your category or something to do with the packaging, not just to look pretty or to be different, but to genuinely communicate your brand in a way. In this yeah. case, you know, creating cleaning products that last, that are sustainable and natural, and good for the planet. So that's great. We kind of spoken a lot about brand building sort of in, in the sector, out of the sector, but I guess from your experience as an entrepreneur and in the past, and, and we, we spoke about it there about, you know, the changes that have happened to performance marketing lately, but how important do you think brand is to a business, but particularly a kind of D2C or, or yeah, D2C, B, B2C business uh, like yourselves? Yeah, so I always think of brand as like the foundation. <clears throat> also, just to interrupt, it's hilarious that you're wearing a Purdy and Fig jumper on brand. Yeah, always. <laughs> Talking about brand, baby. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> always, always repping. So brand, I, I've always said to the team as well, brand is like the foundation behind your paid marketing. And if you don't have it in place and properly understood, then no matter how good you get performance and paid, you're just not going to have the structural foundation to be successful. All a great brand does is it amplifies what you're doing on, on paid. So if you're having a great acquisition funnel and you're acquiring customers at £20, let's say, if you have a great brand foundation, then those customers are going to refer people and they're going to keep rebuying. And therefore, that £20, you're getting like double the amount of value from that £20. With that cash, you can reinvest it in growth and, and go even faster. So it's like there is so many benefits of getting it right. When you get it wrong, you also know because you'll be you'll be kind of pouring money into paid. You'll you'll be really struggling to keep your head afloat, and it means you need to go back to your, the basics of what's the what what's the brand doing? Why isn't it connecting with customers? Both from an acquisition funnel perspective, and then from a when the customers get their product, they're not rebuying. Mm-hmm. If you look at both those two things it will be the brand that's not connecting properly for whatever reason. So you need to look at that first rather than like work out if it's mm. the word that you're using in the headline of the ad that's yeah. stopping you acquiring the customer. It's like, no, that's not it. Typically the way that you would do that, right, at a big, at a big agency or when you've got big budgets is you would do market research behind it or you would do consumer insight and talk to customers. That isn't always possible for a small brand, nor is it necessary because it takes months to do in a way. Are there any ways that you've creatively managed to talk to customer sets about you know what's resonating with them, what isn't? Are you taking a lot of that learning just from you know, testing assets out. What's what are the ways that you're kind of like learning uh, about you know brand insights from consumers? Yeah. So when we started doing proper customer research based on our customer base, everything transformed. Everything changed. It was it's been the most important thing we've done. So we interviewed 400 of our customers. We surveyed about a thousand of them, and these were the first customers. And we segmented that survey based on the value those customers had had to us over six months. And we've broken down exactly who the customer is. And if we do right by her, and it's a woman, we'll do right by basically everyone and it will fan out from there. And that's been our mindset. And it's it's completely transformed the efficiency of our marketing because whenever we're writing an ad or creating a video or thinking about a 
product description. We just have her in mind mm-hmm. and we're like, will she respond to this message? How, what's her pain points? What's her challenges? Why does she want this product? And, and it's been like a huge, huge thing for us. In terms of how you integrate that into a brand, I personally believe you got to just have a view. Yeah, it's like this is this is. It's better just to have a view, and if you have it, other people will have it, and you've got to find those people. Unless you're just, and if you're barking up the wrong tree, start a different business and like pivot out quickly because yeah, that that's for most people. There are people that like manufacture brands in a lab, and like they're often like third or fourth time entrepreneurs. They can get like three or four million pounds funding pre-launch yeah, and they can go to a branding agency and do the customer insights and like mm-hmm. that's not most people mm. um, and that does work I mean unfortunately yeah. we all like to say like you've got to have the authentic brand story and yeah. but that does really work yeah. <laughs> that whole approach yeah, I've seen course. it like loads but if you don't have all that budget just find a problem have a belief about that problem build a brand you like and it should work out yeah Hopefully. And I, I mean, talking of working out, it seems like it's, it's sort of working out at the moment. But what's the, um, yeah, what's what's the ambition in the next five years? And then I guess moving into to, to sort of 20 years. What's... Yeah, and go big. You know, you know yeah, what, well, what, what is your big ambition? Well, well um, Purdy and Fig, we only got one product really in the cleaning space. We wanted to like take over the whole home, everything from cleaning to home care, like candles, diffusers, personal care, we think we can go into as well. So we think we can take over like body wash, shampoo, conditioner, all that stuff. We think we can take over a lot of the home and grow into a really large business. So that's kind of like five years and probably going, we, our first year we've done probably a million pounds. We'll, we'll probably do two and a half second year this year on forecast and then go five, ten, keep keep just like scaling really hard. And then kind of long, longer term, part of what we've done with Purdy and Fig is build like a manufacturing center where we can manufacture our own products. We've got our own R&D lab. We've got our own R&D team with like a chief chemist, which we're building out. And longer term, we want to we want to launch loads of brands in loads of different spaces and almost build like a modern conglomerate CPG business that's focused on direct-to-consumer primarily. Because there will be, I mean, if you look at like retail there were obviously you had like Unilever P&G that came out of the explosion of that kind of shopping. Mm -hmm. Online sales right now are like 15% of retail sales. They're going to go to like 50, 60%. So there will, there will be like leader conglomerate businesses that own, that own huge amounts of consumer brand space. So that would be probably long-term aim at this point. (laughs) Love that. Long-term aim. (laughs) Long-term aim. We're going to be like P&G. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's great. I hope we're still your agency at that point. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Cool. Well, I mean, we, we like to sort of wrap these things up by asking some recommendations. Podcast, a book, and a person to follow um, from you. A great podcast is called D2C Newsletter. Also, Ad Spend is really great. E-commerce handbook is really good as well, just for like direct-to-consumer or CPG brand podcast. But like, I love politics. That's how we met. So I love the Spectator, like... 15-minute coffeehouse shots. They're great. Books. Christopher Hitchens is, like, my number one, like, idol guy. He's, like, the smartest guy ever. And uh, he wrote a memoir called Hitch 22, which I just love. I love books about, like, people, like, great people of history, like, my favourite type of books. What's the last one? Person to follow. Person to follow? Mm. Not in the the street. Uh, (laughs) I imagine social channels. On on the social. Mm -hmm. Somebody somebody interesting who posts interesting content. Uh, Oh, well, Twitter. Like, if you're you're into, like, what what we've been talking about today, which I hope most people are, (laughs) 
Um, Twitter is like ridiculously good. It's like get into the communities on Twitter. A few people lead lead the way on that. So like retention, a guy called Ellie Vice, kind of acquisition performance marketing, a guy called Cody Fluffler. Yeah, he's um, is awesome. And then like media buying, a guy called Ash, Ash who runs a brand called Obvi doing like 10, 15 million dollars a year. He still does the media buying or in the account like I do for my for my business as well. And it's um, like really actionable tips for that. Jack, it was lovely to have you on um, and we're looking forward to more big things. Um, yeah, with we, we do, we've done, I, I probably should mention like we, we worked together on um, a whole series of like ads, didn't we? And we've done photo shoots and all that kind of stuff. And it was um, really awesome. Like those assets that we, we're still using them now on all of our paid ads. Because what we do is we, we create loads of assets together yeah. and then we kind of knock them up into like hundreds of versions, different orders and all that kind of stuff. And we did loads with you guys too. And we're still like running them now. I've been Dan. I've been Harvey. If you like the podcast, please share it on LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram, or even just to a mate. If you or anyone you know runs a brand that you think would be perfect for small talk, then get them to hit us up on hello at smallworld.marketing. We're Small World, and this was Small Talk. Small Talk.